0: This is At The Core of Care, a podcast where people share their stories about nurses and their creative efforts to better meet the health and healthcare needs of patients, families, and communities. I'm Sarah Hexam hubbard Executive Director of the Pennsylvania Action Coalition and the National Nurse-Led Care Consortium. As part of our Housing is Health series, we're going to spend this episode focused on the innovative care model at La Maestra Community Health Centers in San Diego. Over the past 30 years, La Maestra has grown to become a national leader through its expertise in developing and implementing a social determinants-focused healthcare practice that takes an all-encompassing, culturally competent, solutions-based approach, what the organization refers to as the circle of care. La Maestra is a public housing and special populations federally qualified health center that has 18 primary care sites, operated by more than 600 staff and many volunteers. Each year, La Maestra provides services to more than 45,000 people specializing in care for mainly immigrants, refugees, low-income individuals, and the homeless. On this episode, we're gonna concentrate on how La Maestra supports a wide variety of housing needs, from programs for people living in public housing, experiencing transitional housing, homelessness, and human trafficking, to counseling for renters, residents receiving public assistance, Homeowners seeking financial management or how to avoid foreclosure. And even more recently, La Maestra has started developing and providing on site housing. Joining us from La Maestra Community Health Centers are Zara Marcelian and Javier Rodriguez. Zara is the organization's president and chief executive officer, and Javier is the chief medical officer. Welcome to At the Core of Care. Thank you. Thank you. So before we dive into our conversation, Let's hear first about how each of you ultimately ended up working in the community health field. Zara, can you get us started?
1: Sure. Thank you. Well, looking back, it seems like the journey to actually work in a community health center was kind of uh, different than most people because I started off as an English as a second language teacher, vocational training. The field of education was kind of where I came from. And in 1986, we started La Maestra Center, which was an educational facility to help people apply for amnesty under the Immigration Reform and Control Act of 1986. And along with that, of course, came the English as a Second Language, civics, history, and so forth, so people could get prepared for the interview with immigration. And along that way, well, we had 12,000 students, and they said, we really need child care, we need training for jobs. And so we developed those programs. And then the next a big task was we need culturally competent health care within our communities. And what can you guys do about that? Well, we didn't know anything about health, but we sure did learn about licensing, managed care, um, healthcare care services. And now, of course, you know, 30 some years later, we've developed very comprehensive services through our medical, dental, behavioral health, mental health, services. We even have our imaging department. And we've kept all of those other social determinants growing as well over 30 years. So we have that nice collaborative network across sectors of housing, food scarcity, human trafficking, youth development, and on and on. And uh, I guess the integration of that circle of care model is the most important. And that's what we keep working on because that's what the community needs.
0: And that's how I started, basically. It is remarkable when you think about the complexity of the work that you're doing as well as the scale. And how about you, Javier?
2: Thanks again uh, for having us here today. Uh, my uh, journey into medicine is uh, is similar to what people have probably heard before with an ill parent or ill parents. And in my case, you know, since my parents were from Mexico, they immigrated in the early 70s, I was interpreting for them in high school. Um, well, my dad, namely, because he had uh, cancer. And so it would drive him and also take him to the oncologist's office. And I would be the one interpreting for his treatment plans and whatnot. So when I was about to enter uh, undergrad, I thought, well, you know, I think I'd like to be a teacher and a uh, administrator. When I was in my First year of uh, undergrad, my sister, who was studying communicative disorders, who was also, by the way, an audiologist, said, "Hey, it'd be cool if you could go into medicine. I think that would be something you'd be great at." So I changed my major uh, to go into biochem and molecular bio, and from there, you know, I got into medical school, residency. Um, you know, back to my immigrant parents, they immigrated to you know work in agricultural, you know, agrarian society, if you will, very common for Latinos and Mexicans and others, of course. So I felt that working with our communities is, you know, that I was familiar with, with something easy, you know, especially because of language and then cultural competency and, you know, understanding some nuance about them and all that. And so Graduated from residency, took a job at a community health center there, worked as an attending physician at one of the local hospitals, then moved to San Diego about, uh, wow, is it already 16 years now? Yeah, I've been at La Maestra for 16 years, and in 2012, I became a medical director, and then a few years ago, I became the company's first chief medical officer.
0: Thank you both for um, sharing your journey to where you are now, Zara. So we could spend many episodes talking about the 30-plus years that you've led La Maestra and the extensive range of care that the organization provides. For purposes of this episode, we're really going to focus in on the wide range of housing needs that La Maestra helps meet in San Diego. We mentioned a few of them at the top of the show. Can you just give us a rundown on some of those initiatives, what you have in place to address needs like affordable housing, transitional housing, counseling for renters and homeowners? It really is wide-ranging.
1: Yes, it is very wide-ranging. Our communities have a lot of needs around housing because San Diego is known for, of course, being a beautiful city, but there's a huge lack of housing that's affordable and safe. And the prices for rent is really very high. And so it's always challenging for people to find their own home or to rent. And that results in families sharing a one-bedroom, two-bedroom apartment And that gets us into, you know, the environmental health of living in substandard housing where it's overcrowded, there's not enough air ventilation and crime. But some of the initiatives that we've been involved in around housing, of course, the first is what connection does housing have on health and the quality of your life? And that leads us to, you know, looking at the family unit and seeing not only, you know, where families live, but where do kids have access to being able to be outside in a safe environment, exercising, and enjoying what kids should be doing, right? So we look at all of that, plus um, how to prevent chronic disease in residents of low-income housing and in our communities that we serve. We know that Residents of public housing, affordable housing, have complexities of needs, and health care services is one. Then you have the social determinants, like are they getting enough food? Do the kids have a place that will help them with their homework or someplace to go after school? And then you get into more of the social services needs around um, food scarcity, human trafficking, domestic violence, and many of those uh, challenges. Aside from dealing with people that have come from other countries, immigrants, refugees, that's one of La Maestra's niches. And being able to know what it is that those residents need uh, comes through our cultural liaisons. These are staff that are medically trained from the populations we work with. So they're linguistically competent, culturally competent, and they have shared backgrounds, which builds that trust with the public housing residents. So what we've done is we've had several programs that actually go into the home for assessments, environmental assessments, like the um, asthma mitigation program. And that takes us into the home, identifies the triggers of asthma and so forth. And what does that have to do with where they're living? So that's one way that we can actually help people by going into their homes. With seniors, we have a similar program where we go there and we see Okay, what is it, their housing situation, and how is that affecting their health or their mental health, their well-being? How is that causing them distress and anxiety, and how does that impact their health? We have recently worked with, especially around COVID, of course, talking about COVID, doing outreach into these housing units. We work with the managers there when there are, you know, multiple housing units, obviously, to bring in health education sessions, outreach sessions, and being able just to share with the residents, look, there are resources out there we can help you with, for example, uh, especially during COVID, rent deferral when people weren't working and they couldn't pay their rent and how to apply so that they don't get evicted from their home. Also, helping qualified residents be able to get assistance with any back rent that they owe, utilities that they owe, or getting them help with security deposits if they need to move. And a lot of times they need to move because the dwelling is full of these triggers of asthma or there's high crime and uh, environmentally it's not a good deal for them. So that program really has helped a lot. Aside from that, we have partnered with the Housing Commission and Affordable Housing to provide, you know, joint events, where we'll bring our mobile clinic out, where a lot of people live, for example, lots of apartments or in the park nearby, and we'll partner on how do we get those resources of information and what people will be eligible for to kind of connect them into our circle of care and be able then to have them access the services that they need through the pathways that we've established, either through La Maestra or through one of our partners.
0: Javier, as the chief medical officer for La Maestra, can you share with us how you train your team of medical assistants, nurses, physicians, and other providers to address housing needs? And you know, what does that training look like? And what might some of those conversations be with patients?
2: That is a very important question or set of questions, if you will. But I think a lot of times it starts from the actual interviewing process. You know, um, we hire staff from the community that can empathize and have lived through some of the issues that a lot of our patients have already gone through or are going through. So we definitely value our interview process, you know, and keep that in high regard, especially to vet out. Even now during times of staff shortages because of COVID and what have you. But um, we value and pride ourselves that visits to the clinic aren't only about the actual provider visit. The needs of our patients are way more than that of a 15 to 20 or 30-minute visit could provide, you know. That's why we train in our workflows that staff understand our uh, social determinant screens in terms of increasing that awareness, especially with providers. A lot of times providers are just so busy that they sometimes don't always necessarily get that. But the nurses, though, they're positioned in key spots where during a patient triage, you know, why is the patient having problems with diabetes symptoms or having a lot of respiratory symptoms because maybe they got homeless, you know, because the definition of homeless is pretty broad. I mean, it doesn't have to be that you're homeless in the typical sense where people are panhandling, what have you. But anyone that really that doesn't even have a renter's agreement, you know, moves from place to place. Maybe they forgot their meds or they lost their meds or, you know, in more severe cases, things were stolen from them, like in homeless populations. I mean, I know my brother-in-law is homeless, you know, and he doesn't want to get the help as much as we try to get him the help. And he was recently got stuff stolen from him, beat up and stuff like that. So those kinds of things, the nurses are there triaging, getting a lot of this social uh, determinant information. And uh, so I think, you know, our nurses, they go over this information, they share, you know, our outreach uh, team brings us the latest information of what's going on. Who do we have? Who can we connect with them for a shelter placement if it's needed and urgently and what have you? So a lot of the times, like the nurses are the ones that have been key in this and other conversations that we've had with patients, like Zara was mentioning about the allergen burden and in the home and and with the impact of the environment, whether it be mold, whether it be dust mite, whether it be cockroaches, you know, we're able to get lab panels of things that you know are very common in terms of allergen burden, you know, and uh oftentimes the families, you know, need that old carpet to be removed. You know, so we try to be a uh mediator with the landlords and the different um property management companies that you know we'll write a letter for a patient saying, hey, they have this diagnosis, these are the lab results, patients given us permission to share them with you. Uh, Could you please consider changing out this old carpet? Could you please consider putting in a laminate flooring instead, you know, a more inexpensive option than hardwood, you know? So a lot of times we find ourselves advocating for patients in that way. Um, So those are some of the conversations that we have with our patients. And everyone's aware of this, you know, because we all talk. We have department meetings. You know, we have staff meetings. You know, we share via email by text, whatever it is, you know, uh, we do have these conversations. We're like, hey, this is what's going on. This is where we can get different help, patient navigation, and different resources, especially when it comes to housing or any of the other social determinants.
0: You're clearly providing care um, within the clinic, outside of the clinic, and in a lot of different levels. Looking more broadly, I would imagine a lot of this is happening at the systems level. So, Zara, I'm wondering, you know, given La Maestra's experience Can you share what it's taken for the organization to build relationships with the San Diego Housing Authority over the years and even sort of how you um, build capacity to navigate some of these complex interventions?
1: You know, I think that one of the strengths that our organization has is that we have built these relationships, partnerships, collaborations across different sectors for over 30 years. And so if we just look at, you know, the Housing Commission, we can see that when we've partnered together, their reach out to all of their residents just makes our job a lot easier if they can then share the resources that we have, whether it's flyers, notifications, events that we're going to be holding or letting them know that we're going to be coming out to the units um, to do health education or talking about covid And so how do you get that information out right away? You go through your partners in your network of collaboratives and the housing commission was one. Another example is the lead blood testing that we partnered with the housing commission and the city of San Diego. First, it was doing a lot of outreach, health education with our communities about, you know, where, you know, lead content is higher that it's found, for example, and put up posters. And talk to the community about that and then actually do the testing for kids. And then working with the city to locate those parks in San Diego that the city basically took old gas stations and put a park on top of it without really cleaning the soil and depolluting the area. So then they needed a clinic to go out and do the testing. We were that clinic. So we have a long history of Working with the community, yet working with the structures and the powers that be. So it's either your local government, federal government, state government, and other organizations that are working with the community in the community, and then doing what we can from La Maestra and within La Maestra as well.
0: What would you say are some lessons that you learned away or things that you would want our listeners to take away when it comes to building those community partnerships, when it comes to thinking about housing and health, um, some of the things that we're talking about?
1: I would say that being informed and knowing what resources are available within the community is really important because that's how you start knowing which organizations you should start collaborating with. And so knowing what's available and then working within your organization to perhaps develop those MOUs with different organizations that work with housing or economic development, food scarcity, and so forth. And we know that many organizations perhaps they might advertise on the computer that, you know, or through Google that they have, you know, expertise in housing, but maybe they don't have the capacity. So that's why the memorandum of understanding, I think, is really important. We've learned that firsthand because the last thing we want to do is refer patients, you know, social prescribing to organizations that don't have the capacity or perhaps. Our patients won't meet their eligibility. So that's up to us to figure out. We don't want to add more burden to already challenging situations for our patients. So that's one of the lessons learned um, that, you know, we really do have MOUs in place across sectors. And that way, everybody understands.
2: I could add a little bit. So again, it goes back, you know, to who we attract and who we hire and our interview process and what have you, because you have to realize that traditional nurse training programs are preparing them for inpatient world, you know. We always have to keep that at the forefront, that traditional nurse training is geared for inpatient care, which is a very, very, very different world from community Healthcare care, nursing. So we're always mindful of that, you know, when we're hiring when we're speaking to potential candidates and then we're letting them know, you know, up front, you know, like, hey, this is community healthcare nursing. You know, yes, there is triaging, there is clinical, there are some procedures, uh, injections, what have you. But a lot of it has to do with, again, back to our social determinants, finding out, what's going on with the patient, you know, from that level and others too. So I just wanted to mention that because that's a really huge point. And that's why sometimes, you know, we have to be very particular uh, in terms of who we hire, but also who we attract to. And as this pandemic has shown with a lot of the uh, different things that have happened at the hospitals and a lot of the media attention is at the hospitals and a lot of the burnout, you know, nurses have been getting burned out working inpatient I know sometimes I don't feel appreciated, especially now with a lot of the anti-vaxxer commentary and what have you. So and even with mandates coming up, too, you know, that's the other side of that coin, you know, because it's not a cookie cutter approach or a one size fits all. So we try to be very uh, mindful of these things, you know, when we're uh, hiring and, you know, when we're training and when we're working with our staff.
0: And I really appreciate you highlighting how important it is to be thinking about who you're hiring. You know, it's not just about training. It really is both. And, you know, we talk about that a lot in terms of diversifying the nursing workforce and the future of nursing. Um, For our listeners who've been keeping up, you know, the new future of Nursing Report certainly highlights the need for nurses in community-based settings, in community health, in public health, and for that to be a diverse and culturally competent workforce. If we could talk for a moment about the specialized residential programs, and in particular, wanted to um, learn more about the housing for individuals who've experienced human trafficking. So Zara, I guess, could you tell us a little bit about how La Maestra got involved in that effort and how the program works? One of our programs
1: that we've had since the beginning of La Maestra Amnesty Center in 1986 has been our immigration unit we rely a lot on our attorneys that can help people who have special conditions that are meant to apply for residency status. That in and of itself is a big complexity, right? And so I belong to a um, bilateral safety corridor coalition for five years and they asked me to come because they didn't have any healthcare provider that would come to these meetings and that would take their clients. So they had human traffic clients, but they weren't finding success in being able to refer their clients to other health centers because, keep in mind, the clients did not have any form of payment. And they weren't eligible to apply for Medi-Cal or any assistance programs because they lacked legal status. So I got permission from the board and we started uh, we actually funded it, this program so we could take the referrals and then meeting with the other law enforcement agencies and then going with our staff on these sting operations. So whether the person had been sex trafficked or labor trafficked, we would have the ability to and we still do be able to refer them to shelters, work with those shelters Um, get them the emergency phone, what do you do with the kids? Meanwhile, provide all of their medical and mental health counseling needs and help them work through the process of their immigration application. So whether they're applying for the U visa, the T visa, which is the human trafficking, domestic violence, or their political asylum. We grew all of these areas of expertise. And again, what we can't handle, we have partners That we work with through these MOUs, you know, so we could refer our clients there. That's how we got involved. This was, you know, I want to say years ago. So that's why we've grown our own legal advocacy services, immigration unit. We've continued to grow since 1986. And we have the Human Trafficking Assistance Program. We're the only FQHC here in San Diego that contracts with uh, USERI in Washington, D.C specifically around the needs of human traffic victims.
0: And you mentioned that that was self-funded. At this point, are other entities supporting the work or how are you continuing to do the work? What we
1: receive now are small grants from private foundations, you know, maybe 5,000 here, 3,000 there. But our goal is to really be able to take care of the subset of our community, you know, our clients, because we're on the border, Right. Um, And this need has greatly increased with all of the activity um, across the border. And so that's just uh, being able to step up and draw on those resources and using our operational budget until these clients then can apply for their legal status under one of these programs under immigration. And then they would be able to apply for assistance. It's just helping them get connected.
0: That's really remarkable and um, truly community driven, right? Being responsive to the needs that are arising. Javier, is there anything you wanted to add on that uh, related to that program? Oh yes, yeah,
2: definitely. Um, Zara is wonderful and she's awesome. you know she's my mentor, and I just really you know want to give her the shout out right here that she has always deserved, you know for this. but um we do also have uh, assistance with shelter and transitional placement. Those that are needing immediate assistance, like I mentioned earlier, as well as those that are, you know, reentering from custody, you know. And then we also have collaborations uh, for sobriety and housing. We work with faith-based organizations that take individuals and families. And these are the ones that are heavily used by uh, our behavioral health unit, our certified community behavioral health center and uh, who is led by, you know, our providers. And we also have a nurse there, you know, so that they can tag team a lot of these tough situations that our, you know, our patients and our families go through.
0: And so recognizing how so much of your work is intersecting with these social factors, and we know that there are massive systems, right, that are creating the social determinants that unfortunately many of our clients and patients are experiencing. So how do you get involved politically or from a systems perspective from an advocacy perspective? Do you have ways to encourage, you know, nurses and other healthcare providers to speak out? You know, how does that relate to their practice?
1: As a grassroots organization, La Maestra has always taken a strong advocacy role to speak on behalf of those populations that don't have a voice because they're not at the table. And so we've always taken that position and aligned ourselves with consortia collaboratives at the local, statewide, federal level around all of these issues. So if it's health, for example, the healthcare sector, we have our collaboratives around the medical field. Same thing with human trafficking, housing, and we participate always. We always are providing podcasts. Uh, Speaking nationwide on these panels around special populations, for example, that is a wonderful opportunity for our staff also to get involved at every level. We also have press conferences where recently, for example, the mayor of San Diego, the supervisor of the board of directors at the county came out to La Maestra because we're launching 21 new units of transitional housing. And that's something that you know our staff participated in because we invited them, they spoke with the different media that were present in different languages, by the way, to not only highlight the need for more housing, but talk about, okay, these are new units that we're developing through this partnership with the city and the County of San Diego, who also recognizes that housing is a huge issue for San Diego. So these kinds of events, we're always working on something and our staff uh, has plenty of opportunity to participate with
0: us. But it sounds like you have a very collaborative uh, practice environment. I'd love to hear about how the cultural liaisons interface with nurses, medical assistants, nurse practitioners. How does everyone work together? What does that look like?
1: La Maestra early on developed a cultural liaison model. And what this means is we identified people that were from our different culturally diverse populations and worked with them to train them to work in a medical position. So it could be in referrals or case management, or uh, how do you become an MA, a medical assistant, and some have gone even higher to become nurse practitioners or marriage and family therapists. And it's how do you grow your community? How do you create those opportunities? Because after all, that's the best match you know, for our patients. And so these cultural liaisons, we have, I think, 30 of them across all these different languages. Of course, they come from the same challenges, Backgrounds of trauma that their populations that they live with, right, their community and their churches, their faith based organizations, they are not only imparting the information that our providers and our clinic is trying to relay to the patient, right, in their language, but they also educate us and they educate the providers and they educate, you know, the administrators, the managers, their directors about what their specific population needs. For example, new uh, Syrians that came in, or now we have the Afghani. Before that were the Cubans, the Haitians, you know, before that were the Somali, the Sudanese, Laotian, Vietnamese, all of those populations. We need people that are going to work from within those communities and be that conduit. And that's how we can tailor the message for our health education. That's how we tailor, how do we deliver this message? What's more culturally sensitive, like around breast cancer, right? Some cultures, they didn't wanna be shown diagrams in a group of the breast. It wasn't appropriate for them. So we developed other ways to share the material, other venues, and again, working with the leaders of those communities. And the cultural liaisons are extremely important out in the community, uh, working with outreach, health education, and so forth, but also being able to work within our facility. And when patients show up, they already know the patients because they may help them make the appointments. They help refer them to the eligibility. They're going to case manage them. They're going to deal with these other issues that the patients are going to confide in them And so they're very much part of that clinical staff team. And a lot of them work right under the nursing staff and with the nursing staff. In fact, they will be the ones to probably come out and say, you know what? This family has been living in their car for six months. That's why the kids have been to the emergency room with their uncontrolled asthma. How else would we be getting this information When patients show up, they're not gonna all just open up and say, you know, this is why I was living in my car. This is uh, what happened to me. They have to have that trust relationship first. So we've always uh, maintained this cultural liaison model throughout all of our programs.
2: I always explain to others and new staff coming on board that they're like a bridge. They're like a bridge to so many different things, whether it be language, whether it be cultural, whether it be financial, whether it be even religious. We recognize that, yes, I'm culturally competent and I'm even, you know, bilingual. I still need that help. I still need that extra understanding. I still need that extra clarity from a culture side so that they understand what the providers and the healthcare team are thinking, but also even further beyond that, you know, what the community is thinking, what is the establishment thinking, the healthcare establishment thinking, because there's some huge disconnects there. So the cultural liaisons help us to help them in that area.
1: The cultural liaisons also follow the patient when they go to the emergency room or if they are in a scheduled operation, they will be there because we know that many times the hospitals are not going to have that same level of like a navigator that goes with you and helps you navigate through their incredible systems. So cultural liaisons are awesome, not just within our organization, but they go along these pathways to link to the outside resources that we refer people to.
0: We're nearing the end here. Um, So I want to just sort of open it up if you have any final words um, that you would want to share um, or to close out, maybe talk about, you know, what you see for the future of La Maestra, what you would love to see.
2: We definitely want to keep growing and taking our teams to the next level. You know, we have to always realize that, yeah, we're in a good spot right now, but we can't get complacent. We can't get super comfortable, you know, we got to continue to see what the needs are and continue to grow around that. And, you know, that includes, you know, not just, uh, you know, administrators, but includes providers, nurses, MAs, checkout, PSRs, everybody. I mean, really, I mean, people that come to work at La Maestra, you know, and it doesn't even have to be clinical. They know what we're about, you know, what our niche is and what have you. So we got to continue to portray that and, you know, and promulgate that.
1: Yes, I wanted to add on that the other lesson learned, of course, for us is that it's not just about the organizational fit, it's the orientation that new staff are provided on all of these services around our circle of care and how we you know what strategies have we employed and want to expand on that integrate those services so that the staff know what resources there are within La Maestra, what kind of partners we have across what sectors. And so they already are starting with that information and then they can figure out, okay, so who do I ask if I have a patient that has a problem with their housing? Okay, we have the housing navigators, we have the cultural liaisons, we have the case managers, the care coordinators, eligibility, and so forth. But it's really important for us to keep stressing that. And Dr. Rodriguez does great in his provider meetings, with all levels of providers and the nursing staff to be a reminder, and also to be able to talk about new trends that we're seeing in terms of needs and new partners we have. That's really been very important. In terms of housing, we of course want to continue uh, the housing navigation, working with all sectors of housing, transitional housing, which we have already since 2010, grow that, grow um, other shelters, perhaps. Uh, There's not enough shelters in San Diego. And as we continue uh, to work with the homeless population, we are also certified under the HRSA, you know, 330 FQHC designated as a homeless clinic as well. So we have a lot of programs that we partner with other entities that go out to the different homeless camps with our mobile clinics that's another population, the re-entry population that Dr. Rodriguez mentioned that also needs housing, right? Housing connected to uh, transitional housing, perhaps, and connecting them into that support system, which I think is really important. La Maestra is more than just a community-based organization. I believe it's really an agent of change you know, if you figure the volume of people that go through there and the advocacy that we have and our ability to reach so many people, we definitely are an agent of change. And we're a support system to so many people. It's not like they just come for one visit and they're gone. Most of our patients have access at least five or six services around our circle of care, you know, different sectors. And they'll just stay with us whether it's they're coming back for dental or now they're volunteering or they're part of an advocacy group. It's really awesome. So integrated care is the future. And hopefully we see the federal government providing more reimbursement for these social determinants.
0: Thank you so much um, for all that you do and, and for making time uh, to join us for this podcast. Oh,
1: thank you. It was a real pleasure.
0: Thank you.
2: Thanks for having us once again.
0: Funding for our special Housing is Health series comes from the Center to Champion Nursing in America, which is a joint initiative of the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, AARP, and AARP Foundation. Special thanks to our partners through the National Training and Technical Assistance Program at the National Nurse-Led Care Consortium. For more about us and our programs, log on to paactioncoalition.org and nursledcare.org. And you can connect with us on social media at paaction and at nursledcare. At the Core of Care is produced by Stephanie Marudas and Emily Previty of Kubenda Media and mixed by Brad Linder. I'm Sarah Hexham-Hubbard of the Pennsylvania Action Coalition. Thanks for joining us.